Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. I don't know why, but I do a little jig whenever you sing that intro. And I think I need to get out of tune. <laughs> Bring me back to, you know, the days when reading Rainbow was was my jam. Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic, classic. Who who would have known that um, years later? Although I, I did, I, I liked watching it. Um, but um, who who knew years later I'd become a reader? So, shout out to Lavar Burton. Reading Rainbow. Maybe maybe I should start rapping the intro, man. <laughs> people are like, yo, this guy can't carry a note. Uh, a couple hot bars. <laughs> Well, if you guys, hey, if you guys want me to start, if you guys want me to rap, you guys want me to rap the intro. Uh, yeah, hit us up. Six cents report uh, at gmail.com. Should, yeah, hit us up. No, 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 no. You got to do more than that for me. To okay, rap. okay. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a retired rapper. So you're gonna have to do. Um, I got you got to get more reviews up. Yeah, <laughs> five new reviews. Then um, I'll rap on iTunes. Actually, ten reviews on iTunes. Two new ten reviews as yeah. of this date. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, so rate your review and send us a screenshot at uh, sixcentsreport at gmail dot com. <laughs> screenshot, <laughs> screenshot your review. Yeah, I'll wrap, uh, I'll wrap the intro. Yeah, I'll come out of retirement. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Come out of retirement. Uh, hey, I, I'm sure. I'm sure Tyra didn't think you were out of tune when you were singing at the wedding. No, no. Well, but you had lots of practice I mean, working up for that one, eh? Yeah. I, I can relate. I didn't sing, well, but I, but I did a dance, and and I definitely practiced way too much for that. You tried to do a dance. Hey, just because I wasn't part of the the Soul Train, don't give me give me heck, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes, yeah, right. You weren't in the Soul Train line. Oh my uh, gosh, okay, that's, that is right. <laughs> but hey, hey, I know you were impressed by my so dance close. at my wedding. Come on. It, you were not expecting it. Let's put it that way. No comment. Next question, please. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure I looked a little bit stiff and uh, out of place. If you have nothing good to say, don't say nothing good at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, shots fired. So for uh, for the listener, why don't you tell them a little bit about Data Detective? Where did, uh, where did this book come from? Uh, Data Detective... I was uh, in a webinar, a webinar, and with uh, the author Tim Harf- Har- Harford, and yeah, he was basically talking about the data detective and stats, and so he mentioned his book, and I looked into it, and I, I thought it was pretty interesting. The tagline of the book is 10 Easy Rules to Make Sense of Statistics." Okay, and so I was like, "Okay, you know what?" So I was like, "Okay, you know what? Let me." Let me check out this book and, and see what's going on. Uh, what what kind of sparked me to read it was, you know, in light of where we are today uh, with with COVID stats um, and, and and among other stats, but usually COVID's the most prominent one um, that people are talking about. And if I can be honest, me personally, um, I'm I'm confused by them and so my default position is not to be swayed by the numbers whether it's positive or negative i'm just kind of i i don't i don't actually not just covid but actually in anything i don't i don't argue stats as proof um because 
you know, stats in a sense, you know, you kind of have that stigma of it being manipulated. And I, you know, st- traditionally, like um, scholastically, I wasn't um, a numbers guy, I wasn't a math guy. So numbers just intimidated me. So I was like, okay, you know what, let me read this book. Let me improve my journalism skills. Uh, let me improve my critical thinking skills so I can decipher what's going on. So are they 10 easy rules? Is the tagline true? Is it true? Yeah. Is it, is it, uh, yeah, is it uh, true to size? As sneakerheads say. <laughs> yes, it's true to size. So if you attend, get that 10. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, it's, it, it, it is, it is user friendly um, and it's just a basic critical thinking skills and things. You're just like, oh, yeah, that's right. But I, I, I really in, like the book because it doesn't um, downplay numbers. It doesn't say, oh, well, numbers can't be trusted um it, it it's it's a pretty pretty balanced approach like it teaches you how to how to be able to recognize how numbers can be trusted and how they can't be mm. um how to use how feelings plays a role positively and negatively um in in analyzing stats so it's pretty cool yeah I, you know i think i probably take for granted statistics um or, or let's say the complexity and difficulty of statistics. Uh, I've probably said it on the show before, but you know I was always good with numbers. But when I went was in when I was in university, I t- was a TA for the essentially the business stats class, which was technically economics stats. I TA I took mm-hmm. the course once and I TA'd it three times. But <clears throat> I, I say that because for me statistics you know reading a a scientific paper um just to some extent comes naturally because i'm so numerically inclined now that said you know there's another level of stats and it's easy to at the same time you know there's really really complicated stuff that that would be you know i'd spend a lot of time racking my brain to sort of figure out but i think for me um you know even in our conversations right like when we did uh when we had steph on you know uh decoding i think was part of the name numbers that count yeah and and like numbers that don't count or something. Oh, oh yeah 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 or stats that don't count stats that don't count or stats don't count something like that um yeah he like that that conversation even you know there's there's so much that numbers can tell you but as the f- intro of this book is titled how to lie with statistics, which is another book as well. Actually, there's a book by uh, Daryl Hoff. Yeah, he mentions it. He mentions how it. to lie with statistics. Um, you know, and, and I, the quote that I like to say on the on the show a lot lately is, "Stats don't lie, but liars use stats." And mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you have said that before. And and at the end of the day, you know, numbers are useful, but I th- I'm hoping this when you know as you you talk through this book it really gives you a perspective to question the numbers to to say what is this number really saying because if you don't understand the context of those numbers you know someone can very easily sort of um misrepresent them right right so the direction we're going to go into uh with the book is we're going to tackle there's 10 there's 10 key points but we're not going to go through all 10 so we're going to look at chapter two which is about uh, which is called ponder your personal experience chapter three uh, avoid premature enumeration and chapter four 
step back and enjoy the view. And then the uh, last chapter is the golden rule. Be curious. Okay, so with chapter two, uh, the thing that stuck out, of course, um, these, these are the main chapters that stuck out. But uh, chapter two, ponder your personal experience. Uh, so one of the, the key things he was pointing, is out, pointing out was that uh, psychologists have a name for our tendency to confuse our own perspective with something more universal. It's called uh, vain realism. Mm. And so the, the sense that we are uh, seeing reality as it truly is without filters or errors vain realism so basically thinking that you're i guess always right or that you have the objective view mm, yeah i think that's a good of, good way of putting it up the you have the objective view i think that's a very because when you as you were describing it i think about like i don't know if you've had friends or, or conflicts that you've sort of tried to help people navigate and a lot of times those conflicts are or sort of originate out of somebody interpreting someone else's behavior from their lens as opposed to trying to you know understand where the other person's coming from mm -hmm. um and mm -hmm. i think that that term of perceiving that your perspective is the objective perspective um is is a really um maybe generic way of saying that um not just in in this regard or, or in the statistical you know context but in general um i think that's something that a lot of us or a lot of people in general, if they're not conscious of it, will uh, subconsciously sort of make that judgment. Yeah, I, one of the questions I usually ask people in general when when I'm trying to, well, just trying to engage their ideas and also help them to open them up within their assumptions, I'll always ask, like, what, what will change your mind? What do you have to see for you to change your mind? Right. What evidence do you have to see in order for your mind to change on this issue? And if they say no, well, then it's pretty much a dead end and they don't actually see their bias. What do you think about that, Joel? Um, I think seeing your own bias is a lifelong skill. So. I mean, I know that's sort of not totally related, you know, somewhat related to what you've just said. Yeah, no, 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 um, no, it is. But yeah, because because I mean, I think in in scenarios where you've like for me, right? I know I'm libertarian leaning. I know, like, I have these well developed perspectives, um, and and I can see sometimes how people perceive some of that as bias. I've said it on the show before, right? People think I'm anti-government when those are generally that's where my conclusions land, but I don't start there. Um, but that said, I do have a critical stance towards government because a lot of those conclusions um, that I have drawn, and and so I, yeah, I just think about it for me that um, there. I mean, I, I think about our last show actually when I was talking when they asked me about um, I can't remember which guy which one of them asked me about you know being. When did I vote conservative last? And I was talking about sort of growing up. Conservative was the, the 
that was the default Christian, you know, uh, resonation party or whatever you want to call it, um, or the party that resonated with Christian views. Um, I really, I, I would have said that was a bias that I didn't realize I had at that time. Um, so yeah, that's why I sort of say it's a, it, you know, acknowledging your own biases is a lifelong skill because probably up until you're about 25, many of your biases are sort of just naturally programmed through, you know, family culture experience, um, that you don't even necessarily realize. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I, I think it's important to definitely, um, wrestle with that question, like, what do you need to see to change your mind? I've been wrestling with my own biases as it relates to COVID and the way I'm seeing COVID and the numbers and the policies and um, my psychological makeup uh, is contradicts the the major themes of or the major narrative of COVID, meaning um, that my, my my disposition is um, a me against the world <laughs> um, personality, and I've always been that way since a little boy. Uh, growing up, I've always been that way. I've always been a lone wolf, and so I have to be mindful of my bias. Um, and that it won't get in the way of me um, interpreting what I'm seeing and navigating things. Uh, but there, there was also another term that this guy brought up, and he talked about like I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term uh, fast statistics and slow statistics. No. And so uh, have you? No, have you heard of no, them? That's new. That's I mean, maybe it's another term for something I do know of. But at this point, I'm like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. So 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 fast statistics are. Um, um, they're basically um, immediate, oh, okay. right? They're immediate, visceral, powerful, um, engaging. So, so we get a lot of fast statistics coming into our um, our timeline. And then he talks about slow statistics, which are um, thoughtful, um, thoughtful stats, um, unbiased information, and and the numbers don't necessarily jump jump out at you, and they're not as um, mm. attractive. So you have to kind of watch out for fast statistics and slow statistics. So kind of like clickbait. Uh, yeah, clickbait. Um, clickbait. But he has another section on um, infographics. Mm-hmm. But um, definitely navigating the um, being aware of fast stats versus um, the um, slow stats. Yeah, I think not that this is a great comparison, but it's decent. Um, I think about. I always say, you know, with with so much that's gone on recently, you know, most of our stats are scenarios that are N of one, meaning it's a, it's a, a single data point, um, that is powerful. It's very fat. It's a, you know, fast statistic in, in, as I understand the complexity of this individual scenario, um, it, it might be powerful in terms of the message it conveys. Um, and then I contrast that with taking that data point and putting it into the sea of everybody. Um, that's sort of more, more so the slow, you know, you have to really think through methodical, uh, what is the data telling me? So I don't know if that's exactly what he was talking about, but that's sort of, uh, I'll say the immediate res- thoughts of what we've experienced um, in the sense of fast and slow data points. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And and it's, it's just definitely just something to uh, for us to be mindful of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, okay, so in, in chapter three, he talks about um, avoid premature enumeration. Chapter three, avoid premature enumeration. And so, um, what, what he so there's basically uh, three questions um, that you should consider. And so, uh, what does the claim actually mean? So, when you're taking in stats, what does the claim actually mean? And what is being measured or counted? Mm. Uh, what definition is being used? Right? Mm-hmm. What definition is being used? Because oftentimes, right, when we engage with numbers and we hear stats, we're kind of like, oh, um, that seems, we're not even sure what the definition of, like, and you've, and you've mentioned it before when it comes to um, COVID stats, um, when it comes to um, deaths or whatever the case may be, or cases, and how, do you, how are you defining a case? How are you defining um, a death? How are you defining an infection and so forth? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Terms matter. Um, and yeah, I think, yeah, I definitely have brought it up with COVID. I think uh, on the episode with Deanna, uh, I sort of, you know, I asked her about, you know, is this a proper understanding of what cases are and, and what's important? And, and I think, you know, essentially my understanding, she sort of affirmed um, and I I would say, you know, for the listener, when it comes to these things, you really have to to dig, and and that's where I use the word context earlier, right? If you don't understand the terms, if you don't understand the definitions of that that give the data context, well, you need to do the work to to understand it, and I think that's sort of what the um title or the rule is sort of hinting at avoid premature enumeration i think if i go back to what you were talking about before if it's a more slow statistic you really need to dig and think through it so that you can and actually a fast statistic as well right because i would argue the fast statistic is generally going to have more limitations and so understanding those limitations are important again to avoid premature enumeration so I guess for the for the non mathematical person, when you hear the word enumeration, um, now that you've read the chapter, what does that mean to you? Well, um, when I'm thinking about like one of the aspects of of it, so for example, um, he gives an example and he says this: um, measuring infant mortality at first glance means doing something sad and simple, counting the babies who died. But think about it for a moment, and you'll realize that the, des- the, the distinction between a baby and a fetus is anything but simple. It's a deep ethical question uh, that underlies one of the most acrimonious divides in U.S. politics. Mm. The statistics, the statisticians have, the, have to draw the line somewhere. If we want to understand what is going on, we need to understand where they drew, where they drew it. Um, and and to answer your question, I would say that enumeration is, um, I get how would I say it? Um, looking into the numbers and um, seeing more into the numbers that then that looking more into the numbers than than what's already given. 
How would you how would you see it? Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say almost like think of it as like mentally calculating. Right? Like and and the reason I say mentally calculating is sort of like, okay, I've processed the numbers and now I'm applying it or I'm drawing conclusions. Um at least that's how I was sort of interpreting it. Um and I think I think that's you know what you've um right like i mean if i read a definition of it it's like an enumeration is a complete ordered listing of all items in a collection which you know is like okay that's why i was asking you about the definition of the word because the word itself is like a very technical word um but i think i think what you've said is right i think you know um it's it's really avoiding jumping ahead before you've understood what it means but you know what the kicker is for this section that kind of stuck out to me, which was which was actually very fascinating. And he says this, premature enumeration is an equal opportunity blunder. Mm-hmm. The most numerate among us may be just as much at risk as those who find their find their heads spinning af- at the first mention of of a fraction. So he talks about um, those who um, are are good with numbers can also make the blunder of enumeration premature right he goes on to say uh, what the psychologist steven pinker calls the curse of knowledge is a constant obstacle to clear communication once you know a subject fairly well it is an enormously difficult to put yourself in the position of someone who doesn't know it my colleagues and i weren't immune yeah i think um the types of like types of errors you're going to make are different but to his point you know everyone's going to have the potential for um mm-hmm. you know that that well, sort of qu- too quickly processing right and and so i would ask you cuz you were a ta and you're really good with numbers do you have difficulty um communicating to those who aren't good with numbers or are are, are you aware of your um you kind of committing this sin? <laughs> uh, well, because I was going to say the first question is to some extent much different. I think for me, the avoiding premature enumeration um, is the is an aspect where my my skills lead me to become overconfident potentially, and and to and don't take the time to you know let's say do the hard work to make sure I've got all the information. So I I'm too inclined to go quickly because I'm, you know, potentially overconfident. So a simplest example would be, you know, not taking the, if I see a graph with numbers and stuff on it, not taking the time to make sure I double checked. Well, is it, you know, regular scale? Does it have scales on both sides? Um, You know, have I checked what, what the labels are on the X and Y axes? And is there a potential to too quickly sort of like, you know, gather the information in my head to move on to the next thing when I've missed a really fundamental aspect of the analysis or, or, or sorry, I should say the presentation of the data. So I would say that's where mine, um, you know, in terms of the communication, I think that's a different, a much different thing, but at the same time, it, it is, um, if you don't like, so for I would say the example that does sort of relate would be failing to speak to your audience in a manner that is, this you know to the audience, right? So, um, someone who is like 
super technical in like like think of like data analysts or or you know programmers um, or even let's say exceptionally high intellects um, a lot of times can fail to communicate the message because they fail to have maybe the social skills to speak you know from the perspective of if I need to speak my message in a way that the audience can comprehend it and if I'm speaking as if I'm the audience, I'm going to speak much differently. So I know that's not totally related, but um, I think it it sort of does relate to the same types of errors um, that that can happen in this mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Uh, I guess uh, for me, I guess I look at it from as an educator um, and communicating my ideas. I think. I hope I hope I do a good job of communicating to people that don't necessarily um I don't want to say on my level. Um like so for example, um you know, back in the days when me and you um used to go to CLS. Yeah, when we chopped it up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um all of us, right? Yep. Um and for those of you who don't know, CLS is a Bible study Joel and I um, first met at, and it the 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 model of the Bible study was um, combat. So we just basically went at it. If we had an issue um, in the text, it was just guys going at it. Um, it was very confrontational. Very um, we debated a lot, and and so out of that we came. You know, our, our vocabulary, especially when you're debating theological things, your vocabulary has got to be clean. And so, um, you know, our, our vocabulary was on point when it came to certain things. So now, now we go back in the street and you're communicating to people and you're using terms that um, the average Christian or maybe even unbelievers don't know. Um, and so the point I'm making is that I remember when I wasn't good in school. I remembered when I wasn't considered smart. I remembered when I wasn't a Christian. and the Bible and theological terms made no sense to me. Like, like, Mm. and I remember, yeah, I'm that, that, that time is not lost on me, you know, getting a test (laughs) and seeing, you know, a fail on it. Um, not, not being able to understand what's going on in class. Those, those feelings have stayed with me forever. And now I'm on the other side of the coin and doing well academically. I might, I always, and I pr- and I hope and um and I'll definitely be praying and I continue to pray that I'm communicating the ideas and not making people feel dumb mm. or not speaking over people's heads. That's why I'm always you know asking for definitions. I'm always asking, even like we do know the terms, you can't assume that people know what micro and macro economics are. You mm-hmm. can't assume that people know what the atonement is, mm-hmm. what the definition of justification is. Well, and right, and, and so yeah, I was gonna say that's sort of the beauty of of TA because being when I was a TA, the vast majority, you know, I would do tutorials, so I would like you know do uh, example questions on the board, mm-hmm. but then which you know to some extent, there's some talking, but it's not the same. There's a lot of sort of tutoring scenarios, um, and in those contexts. There's much more of an ability to sort of read your audience, right? Like I think of it in, in contrast to like, if I was trying to teach someone from the front of the class who had a question, you know, it's, it's, you've got, you know, whatever, 30, 
head staring at you while you're trying to problem solve something. And so the ability to sort of tailor your message to your audience is is difficult. But in the tutoring context, there's much greater ability to sort of like adjust, recalculate, say it again a different way, figure out, okay, what are you understanding? What aren't you understanding? Um, so yeah, it's just, I, I think about, you know, what you're talking about with the CLS scenario, right? Um, in, in a collective, you know, where we're sort of going at it, everyone's sort of using the same language. Um, when you step outside of that context, you really need to speak to the people in, at their, their level. Um, and so I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's in general, it's much easier in a one-on-one type of a scenario to, to avoid miscommunications or, or to resolve miscommunications. Whereas on a, you know, larger scale, uh, let's say front of the classroom type of scenario, you have a much greater likelihood, um, that, that, you know, the communications, um, aren't going to quite work because not everybody's going to interpret things the same way. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. Um, yeah, that stuck out to me. Another, uh, in, in chapter four, another aspect that stuck out to me was chapter four, uh, step back and enjoy the view. And this chapter is all about giving uh, context to stats. And so, um, for example, there's just one simple question if you could take away. One simple question you could put in your pocket that's user-friendly when numbers are being thrown at you. This is what you ask. Is that a big number? <laughs> that's it. Like, subscribe, share. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Okay, so if it's a small number, what does that mean? Well, what do you mean? Well, you said... Sorry, what do you mean? You said the question is, do you, you ask, is it a big number? Yeah, is, is, is that a big number? So, right? So when people say, oh, yo, uh, there were 200 COVID cases this week. Then you ask, is that a big number, right? And kind of like what uh, economist Thomas Sowell says, um, you know, a good, a good economist always asks compared to what, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, here, okay, so here's, here's more context into a situation, right? So another way to step back and enjoy the view is to give yourself a sense of scale. Faced with, the st- faced with a statistic, simply ask yourself, is that a big number? The creators of More or Less, Michael Blaslin and Andrew Dillnott, made a habit of asking the unassuming but powerful question. Take, for example, the claim that Donald Trump's border wall between the United States and Mexico would cost $25 billion to build. Is that a big number? It certainly sounds biggish. But to really understand the number, you need something to compare it with. For example, the U.S. defense budget is a little under $700 billion, or $2 billion a day. <laughs> the wall would fund about two weeks of U.S. military operations. Or alternatively, the wall would cost about $75 a person. There are about 325 million people in the United States, and $25 billion divided by 325 million is about $75. Mm. Big number? Small number. You can be the judge of that. But I'm guessing your judgment will be better informed having made these comparisons. Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really, it's probably a better way of, of something that I've been saying the last, <laughs> the last year. Um, the, 
I think it goes back to what I said before, right? Like what I said at the very beginning, um, I think, you know, numbers need context. Right? When we were talking about premature enumeration, right? Understanding the context of those numbers and, and the biggest way that you understand, you, you know, what you said from the economics or economist perspective, Thomas Sowell, compared to what? And in, um, let's say, more of a finance world, there's always this concept of benchmarks, right? Every number needs a benchmark. Otherwise, how do I know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, right? Like think about it from, you could use profit for a company. You could talk about, all of these things need additional context. Right, right. Um, actually, maybe this might, this might be practical. Um, so uh, an example of this is, um, when I first got married, Tyra and I were, um, you know, planning our honeymoon, and uh, she booked, <laughs> she booked um, uh, a villa. So we went to the Bahamas. Uh, we stayed at um, Sandals, Sandals five star. Um, no kids, mm-hmm. no kids. It was oh man, that's like you know that that's like um, you know a no kids resort is kind of like you know when you're in high school and you go to an all ages jam. Yeah, and then when you like, re- <laughs> and then then you reach old enough, and then you go to an adult jam, and you're like, oh wait a minute, this is, th- oh this is how a jam's supposed to be. <laughs> so that's kind of like <laughs> so this is what a resort is like, no kids. But so, anyways, Tyra gets this villa, and um, she sends me the picture, and I'm I don't like it because it reminds me of I don't know if you, if you guys if any of you guys watch Martin. So there was an episode in Martin where um <laughs> where he's um fighting this big rat that's in because they're they're on vacation and they're staying in a villa that looks like the villa in the Bahamas. Like it's decorated the exact same as the room Martin was finding fighting this big rat. And then like it, it was crazy. But yo, YouTube it, <laughs> check it out. And so it gave me the creeps. It reminded, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you know, yeah. think about it. On your honeymoon, when you're about to, you know, uh consummate with your wife, you don't want to be thinking about the rat Martin was fighting, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. So so I was just like, um, no, I don't know about this. So then Tyra comes back to me and she finds um one of the newer suites that's been newly renovated and that's um at the top floor and has a view of of the resort um and it's really expensive it's really expensive and you know we're still feeling each other out and she doesn't know if i'm a cheapskate <laughs> and so she and so, and so and so she brings it to me right she's like okay hey babe like um we could also stay here on the resort um, in this suite and it was really expensive and I was just like, okay, cool. So she was relieved, but she was also worried because it was very expensive. And all I said was this. Well, when we look at numbers, babe, you have to ask yourself, how much do you make in a day? Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. How much do you make in a day? Right? <laughs> so you have to think in your head like, okay, well. How many days of work does this cost? Yeah, yeah. How many days? And like, think about, and then, and then you think about, okay, well, how many, like, Depends on your job, you know. Sometimes, you know, like kind of like you would talk about at your old job in Missog, like how hard are you working for that day? Either way, <laughs> either way, you worked really hard, so you deserve that treat, 
or you didn't work really that hard so <laughs> it's whatever right yeah yeah so so that that's always been every time Tyra and I go go shopping you know and and you know usually I'm I'm the one who likes to spend she doesn't you know she's always scared so I'm like I said babe how much do you make a day how much do you make an hour how hard are you working in that hour cuz if you're working really that hard you deserve that pair of jeans babe get the jeans Mm-hmm. Get the shoes, babe. Get the jacket. And then, and then months later, she's wearing it. She's like, "Oh, babe, yeah, you were right." Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so maybe, maybe I'll put that chapter in my book. <laughs> uh, that's so good. Yeah, but it works, you know. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think that's, you know, there's such a fundamental aspect to economics built into that statement that that I think a lot of people um lose perspective on in the sense of when they spend money. I think I think if you if more people were thinking, you know, in that regard. Now obviously some things like buying a house or something you sort of have to think about it a little bit differently. But you know, when it comes to spending money on especially when you're young and and you don't have a lot of money, you're like, okay, how many days of work is this? If I got to work a week to do something that's like gone in 10 minutes or an hour, you know, it's like an hour experience. Is it, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? Um, and I think tying it back to the effort and, and you know, workload to, to actually earn the thing you want to buy I think it actually works both ways. It works as a gauge to say, no, I probably shouldn't do this. Or you're like, you know what? I only had to work 15 minutes to earn this. Okay. It's worth it. No. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I really, I actually really like that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So does my wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it usually is incentive for her to go or change her mind and go, okay, fine. I'll buy it. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, another aspect in within this chapter that that stuck out to me was that uh, he talks about good news and bad news, right? So the idea is the negativity instinct, and it's generally easier to make news seem bad if you omit the context. And I think this relates to us, Joel, in the way we put the show together and the way we communicate ideas from the show. And he goes on to say this: It's possible, of course for shocking news to be positive. But the psychologist Steven Pinker has argued that good news tends to unfold slowly, while bad news is often more sudden. That sounds right. It is, after all, quicker to knock something down than to build it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dem- demolition is way more fun, um, but way, way faster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I and I find well even you I don't know you tell me how do you feel about our content and and which shows which shows uh, get hits and which ones don't? Oh, uh, yeah. I I mean that's it's sort of tough because I would say there's some of our conversations that are a result of our lifelong learning, and although you know let's say the like if I think about like let's say our preparation in the couple of days before might have been less but that's because we didn't we've already sort of accumulated the knowledge or or we already have an accumulated perspective that we're prepared to put put forward um 
so yeah, it's it's a little bit tough of a question because, um, you know, let's say the amount of effort that goes into the content is is varied. You know, I've sort of been joking uh, when we did the two when we did the two episodes where where it was your your talks. You know that oh, this is an easy one for me. You know, because I just have to comment on you presenting and, and you did the work, right? The amount of, I'm sure the amount of time you spent, you know, researching, prepping, organizing, timing yourself, whatever, um, was potentially a lot more <laughs> than, than with, with a regular episode, because not that we don't have time constraints, but we have a much softer time constraint for, as contrast to when you're speaking at a speaking engagement. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Very, very true. Very true. But, yeah. and so, you know, yeah, go ahead. In general, the amount of effort that we have to put into this show to make quality episodes, as opposed to, you know, uh, smoke weed and turn on the microphone and just shoot the breeze and, and have a conversation that, you know, turns into a Joe Rogan podcast. And, and I by no means I'm trying to dismiss his ability to an effort that he puts into his show. But, you know, just a casual conversation, um, unless you're comedic, straight entertainment, you know, there there is a lot of work and effort that has to go into building something of substance that you actually have people who want to listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess uh, and, and for us, it also influences the way. Um, well, I, well, actually, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and I'm, I'm kind of happy it doesn't necessarily influence the way um, we, 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 we pick the shows and we do the shows. Uh, some things are unavoidable, like um, COVID, <laughs> the, the Ravi. Yeah, or, Ravi. Or the Ravi episode. Yep. No, yeah, like like certain things were just unavoidable. You're like, okay, we got to talk about this bad news, but um, I always try my best, um, even to make sure that I leave people with a hope, even when I'm talking about bad things, to leave on a positive note. Um, and I know positive news doesn't sell, but positive news does give people hope. So um, we try our best to do that, and yeah, it's been pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think yeah. you know, not, I, I know I didn't really answer the good news, bad news part, and I think. I don't want to say we avoid bad news or we avoid good news. I think, you know, generally speaking, most of our news is relatively neutral um, in that I go back to, I don't know, at least the way that I always try to say, like one of the biggest objectives I have with this, with our show is that like, I want to demonstrate to people how I think through things because I think so much of news, mainstream media is not, thinking through things like i don't even necessarily care if people agree with me um but i think that mainstream media approach of like 30 second sound bites potentially makes the contrarian perspectives sound absurd and whether it's good news or bad news generally speaking we have an ability to talk through it but we also generally like i think about you know, let's take the Israel apartheid episode way back. You know, there might have been a bad news or bad event that might have slightly been a catalyst for that episode, but we tried to 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 tease out so much more than the you know news of the time. And and I don't know if we've I know we say this to people all the time, but we tr- we generally try to make episodes that are relatively evergreen. Like I don't want to create a conversation or I generally we don't have conversations that 
hey, if uh, you don't, other than, you know, elections and stuff like that sometimes are, are a little bit time sensitive. But if we're focused on good news or bad news even, um, it becomes so time-centric that uh, it changes our content substantially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And uh, last but not least, we're going to talk about the very last chapter, which is the golden rule. Be curious. And this is a summary of all 10 points. And he summarizes all 10 points with being curious. Uh, The chapter opens up with this pretty cool quote that makes sense to me. It says, I can think of nothing an audience won't understand. The only problem is to interest them. Once they're interested, they understand anything in the world. And so I kind of use that sentiment, and I've always believed it um, as an educator, that um, I believe that you know you got to get people interested in, and really push for deeper questions that get people curious about the content, so that they would want to inquire. Because if you're not, you know, you know, if it's, if it's boring, and that's what he kind of gets at at this chapter. Um, in that curiosity is the cure for tribalism. So in light of all these numbers and the political situations that we're in right now, he says the cure to all of that um, is curiosity. And essentially um, having uh, somewhat of an, an, having an open mind, mm-hmm. which, is, which is a pretty profound uh, concept when you think about it, right? Like you're kind of like, oh, wait a minute, what? An open mind. Never, never thought about curiosity being a cure. And remember, we talked about tribalism in uh, what's that episode we did? Um, uh, a, a tribe, a tribe called dot 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 dot. Yes. Um, we were reviewing, we were reviewing the book. Uh, Ten, no, we were reviewing the book. <laughs> um, uh, three political, three political languages, or the three languages of politics speaking across the political divide. Mm-hmm. And we were reviewing that book, and and, and he was kind of. Um, making that argument as well, which is pretty interesting. And so he goes on um, to say this about curiosity. Although the discovery surprised Khan, it makes sense. As we've seen, one of our stubborn defenses against changing our minds is that we're, we're good at filtering out or dismissing unwelcome information. A curious person, however, enjoys being surprised and hungers for the unexpected. He or she will not be filtering out surprising news because it's too, it, because it's far too intriguing. Hmm. What do you think about that, Joel? I think, um, I mean, I think it's 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 a another way of saying really what you said at the very beginning was that like, you know, essentially like you use the you know making someone curious or interested in a topic is the way that you can do a presentation on anything. Or, or, you know, that was the first. Yeah, but, the, but, but what's key is that you have, to ask, you have to ask the right questions and spin the content in a way that people have never thought. Hence, hence why, you know, the talk on black and brown privilege, mm-hmm. right? Remember, remember when I brought that idea to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? You were kind of like, what? What you talking about, Willis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, right? Yeah. You yeah. know, but, but, but that title alone, people are like, what? Come on. Don't be stupid. Black people don't got no damn privilege. Black people be saying this to me, 
right? Yep. Brown people yep. not no but, but it makes them just... interested in what you got to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And 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 you know, if you had labeled it uh white privilege is a myth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh what Yes. And and that's just the title. Um but I think all of it plays into I mean, it's sort of what I said earlier, right? You got to speak to your audience in a way that they can comprehend. And and I think taking that to the next level is not just comprehending, but keeping their attention engaging. and engaging yeah, yeah. because they're curious. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yo, <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. No, I was going to say um, one of the turning points in my life um, not turning points, but I thought I thought it was like um, a summary of my life, and it was an odd thing that happened. So when I was at Tyndale, uh, one of my friends, uh, Layton Layton Watson, if he's listening, or if you guys, if you guys, um, you get you guys uh, tell Layton this story. And so you know, I'm I'm in the um, you know the common areas where everybody's fellowshipping, and I was talking with somebody. And I was talking out loud, or I was probably arguing with somebody, <laughs> most likely, <laughs> right? Or saying something. And Leighton walks into the room, and he hears me talking. And, he's, and he just says out loud, so I can hear, he says, you know Darnell Samuels is in the ring room when somebody's talking about something controversial. <laughs> right? And, uh. and you know, I, I, I laughed. And then, you know, years later, I thought to myself, I was like, wait a minute wait a minute. He's right. Like that's been the story of my whole life. I like, and that's why I'm a teacher today because that's how I learn. I like to push the envelope on what can be learned. And that, you know, that all that pushing actually accidentally led to me becoming, become a Christian, coming, led to me becoming a Christian Hmm. because, you know, you're inquiring about, wait a minute, there's a God. Okay, tell me about this God. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah, we're all damned before him. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, really? Like we're all condemned to hell? Okay, <laughs> please explain. Yeah. Right? And, and, and that's why I love engaging with Muslims. Because Muslims will come and they'll, and they'll give you their doctrine and it's very fascinating. You're like, wait a minute. So we're all born Muslims and we've turned away from Allah? And that Christians have committed the sin of shirk and we will never be forgiven? Tell me more. you know like you know what i mean like all all that's and i think it kind of shows up in the content of the show where and 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 the heart of the show and you're like that too joel yeah we can be like okay when when you were saying that i was like i'm sure my wife would say the same thing yeah (laughs) like yeah as soon as there's a controversial topic i'm probably the reason it's being discussed uh But that, but but that, but that's but that's where you know what, and and that's why I was such a bad student, Joel. I'm gonna say this out loud. That's why I was a bad student because the content was straight up boring, bro. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who who the hell wants to learn about Samuel de Champlain and Louis Riel? What does that have to do with me? Right. Dude. Until until, but not to say those guys are boring. But if if you're if you're presenting that stuff in a boring way, like what? Yeah. Who the hell? Like what kid wants to learn that? Right. And, and, and of course, nothing is more exciting and nothing is more dark. And I always say this, Joel, nothing is more dark and, 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 and terrifying than the gospel, than the good news. Nothing is more terrifying than the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm here today, because it's so engaging. It's so compelling. 
It's so dark. Like we watch horror movies of people being killed and decapitated, but nothing is more darker than the gospel. And that's why the light of Jesus Christ shines so bright. Mm. Right? We gotta make our we gotta make the content captivating. We gotta bring people in and and ask good questions. Mm-hmm. And right? and you know, it's you know, when you what you said too about like, you know, the the whether it's uh, I don't know if you said tribalism, but I also think about like echo chambers, right? Like you know, when you're speaking to, and I, and I know this, when I'm speaking to someone who's, you know, more left-leaning, I got to tailor my audio, my my message or my conversation in a manner mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. respects where they're coming from. Because, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, if I start talking about, you know, free market, blah, 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 they're just going to be like, oh, you know, you're a crazy capitalist, mm-hmm. right? And And you've got to really... And and the reason I think about echo chambers or or you know the social justice type of stuff that's such a divide, you know, finding interesting data that you know just cuts through the BS or or not even data but interesting information or you know perspectives that that force people to uh, think about things differently or or just to think. Um, but and then you also have to think about how do I present it in a way that doesn't sound like I'm trying to be like gotcha and put them off, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah now, i think you know being curious uh is probably why both me and you are doing a podcast together and you know yes. we don't have a different person co-hosting with us because you know we have that similarity and you know i think back to it's funny like i did relatively good in school but if it wasn't math class <laughs> if there wasn't numbers involved if there wasn't sort of an objective nature to the class mm-hmm. i hated it <laughs> like yeah and actually me too me too and and, and, I, and i think you hit the nail on the head it's also like the objective nature because if you're relativizing everything um then what's the point of learning if every like think about it, if everything's relative what's the point yeah, of what learning? am i actually learning i'm just learning yeah, someone's opinion or like, perspective. It's, like it's pointless like i might as well skip class like i did go to the cafeteria play dominoes and eat a sugar twist donut yeah <laughs> <laughs> right um okay okay th- okay so he- here's a quote um same chapter that i thought was like phenomenal that really spoke to me and I-, and I hope it would speak to you guys and he says this uh as lowenstein puts it curiosity starts to glow when there's a gap so between mm-hmm. what we know and what we want to know there's a sweet spot for curiosity if we know nothing we ask no questions. If we know everything, we ask no questions either. Curiosity is fueled once we know enough to know what we do not know. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter three. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I guess some of my listeners will be like, wait, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's. But it's deep. It's deep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, it's it's That's very deep. true because right. It I, I think about uh, I've probably said on the show right. There's three types of information: the things you know, the things you know you don't know, and the things you don't know you don't know. Or sorry, and the, yeah, they're the things you don't know that you don't know. So if if the things you the third category is not really relevant to this discussion because if it's something you don't know you don't know you're not going to ask questions about it. Mm-hmm. If you think mm-hmm. there that you know everything there is to know, you're not going to ask questions about it. 
It's when you know there's things you don't know that you ask yes. questions. And that's why I that's why I made that statement in the start. Like, okay, well, what will change your mind? What evidence do you have to see for your mind to be changed? Mm-hmm. Right? And people are like, well, actually, I don't know. Okay, well, then you don't, then you're not actually um open for curiosity. There's there's no there's no room for curiosity and for growth. Um uh, actually can can I can I throw another um yeah, yeah. um section, another gem? Yes. Uh, so Rosenbilt and Kiel called this um, the illusion of explanatory depth. The illusion of explanatory depth is a curiosity killer and a trap. If we think we already understand why go deeper, why ask questions? It is striking that it was easy to get people to pull back from their earlier confidence. All it took was to get them to reflect on the gaps in their knowledge. And as Lowenstein argued, gaps in knowledge can fuel curiosity. Mm. Right? So, so all it took was to get them to reflect on the gaps in their knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think that is a very um, relevant perspective in the time that we find ourselves in right right so so right because once you prompt people then they'll realize that perhaps they didn't really understand um what they were actually uh thinking about at all and and that and then and i've seen that happen to people um uh you know where you know where i've seen that happen (laughs) oh but i shouldn't laugh at cls yeah oh man Yo, you know what? And you know what? I, yo, and the guys who are CLS, they know. They know what I'm talking about. Uh, so Gideon, um, the Ghanaian Moses. Uh, <laughs> so back in the day, you know, we're at, we're at CLS and we're getting into a debate. And so like, um, I'm not going to say the guy's name who, who uh, Gideon was going at. Um, and, um, you know, basically, you know, the, you know, you're arguing over the text and theological things. And so this guy thought he knew what he was talking about, <laughs> but Gideon, but we all, you know, we all knew where this was going. Um, it was a section in Romans nine. So anybody knows of Romans nine, it's one of those, pa- it's one of those passages that will, if you're not, if you're not prepared to handle it and someone brings it up to you, it's one of those knockout passages. And so this guy's going on and on and on and on. And then Gideon just took him there, right? He just took him there. And yeah, he was stuck. Like he, he, he presented him to the passage and he just read it and he just stopped. And he just stopped and he just sat there and he's rubbing his head and he's silent. And he has nothing to say. And it was one of those moments where you're like, oh man, like, yeah, this guy was hot and heated. And then when he got to the passage, he couldn't argue with Gideon anymore. He had to argue with God. Because Gideon's like, yo, like, look at the passage. Don't argue with me. Argue with God because it's in the passage. Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed like the guy never knew it was there, but it opened him up within his assumption and he realized he didn't actually know what he was talking about. And he got caught out there. Um, so I've been caught out there before, actually. Shout out to Nino. <laughs> I, I, I've been caught out there. And so because I've been caught out there, um, what I'm saying is that um, I, 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 I move humbly. I've been corrected by you guys before. Um, by my brothers in CLS, and I've been and I've been smashed in debates before, so I know what it's like to get crushed in public. So you know you have to make sure um, you you know um, you know what's that old saying? You swing big, you miss big. So you got to tread carefully and tread humbly. 
mm-hmm. and, and curiously. Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I, I don't know that I've like I, I I would say you know I didn't really grow up in a very theological uh, upbringing, and so I've I've generally approached the scriptures humbly in that I generally don't even adopt. I try not to adopt labels because I'm always like, my answer is, well, whatever the text says, whatever the text says, right? Like I, 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 you know, I'm a Berean in that sense. So, you know, I know there's tough texts on, on almost everything. Um, you know, let's say from some of the bigger theological debates and at the same time, you know, when someone, when you get into a conversation about something, like take, you know, a good example of that to me, I think is eschatology. I, I don't have, like, I don't really have a, I mean, I, I, there's some positions I do hold now, but, but so much of that is like, uh, I'm not really sure because I can't be sure to some extent. Um, and so it's, I think it's, it's important at the same time that we, you know, have, whether it be, you know, theological beliefs or whatever, that we have beliefs, like, you know, the question you said at the very beginning, what type of evidence would you need to change your mind? Actually knowing that what that it is and that it exists, because, you know, there's always, always change, even if it's, you know, a science or, or, you know, the, let's call it the pervading paradigm in in society mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. think of it i mean science is a really good example before we had a microscope that could read or or decipher you know information at that at, at the you know micro levels all of our explanations might have been appropriate based on the lack of information that we had available to us or the limited information we had available to us you know it's like before we could see cells with a microscope, you know, the, what was the extent of our, you know, scientific understanding of the body? It was probably limited to something like blood. But now when we can see deeper and you see, can gather more information. And so, you know, I think that's, I, I touched on something called, you know, paradigm and, you know, paradigms are a really interesting thing. Um, and I think at some point in the future, maybe, I don't know if, uh, who the right person to discuss this with? Maybe one of our philo- philosophical buddies like IJ. Um, but the concept of paradigm shifts is very interesting because what it takes mm-hmm. for a deeply held, whether it's societal or let's say um, an industry belief to change when it's been deeply held or, or deeply used for a long time is, uh, is interesting to say the least. And mm-hmm you know, almost results is it's almost similar to war. Now it's not necessarily yeah. violent. Or, or I, I would argue, or, or I would argue, um, regeneration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, l- last thing as we wrap up, Joel, this one is for our listeners and for the show in general. Um, when I read this section, it, it made me think of the six sense report and we can end on this note and give some commentary. So check this out. It says, Those of us in the business of communicating ideas need to go beyond the fact check and the statistical smackdown. I like that smackdown. (laughs) WWE smackdown. (laughs) 
Facts are valuable things, and so is fact-checking. But if we really want to want people to understand complex issues, we need to engage their curiosity. If people are curious, they will learn. Yep. I, I think it's, it's... Hopefully, our podcast leads to people being curious. And learning. You all. Yes. As, as your, your quote sort of hints at, right? If, but, but making them curious, um, you know, as so that they can learn and come up with their own perspectives as opposed to holding uh, perspective because CP24 said so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that, and that, um, as we, um, I don't, I don't, and I mean this in in a humble way, like, but like the more content we do, like the studying and the prep, like we're slowly like becoming experts, <laughs> right? And and knowledgeable on these things, and so, um, we have to make sure that we're aware that we're not, um, that we're still communicating the ideas clearly, and not um, losing people or speaking over people's heads. Um, so that's something to be mindful of. But yeah, yeah we and, definitely. And for the audience, um, if we're doing that, give us your two cents. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, give us your give us your two give us your two cents. Um, and and please like let us know if like yo like yo you're going over our head or or maybe you know what? How about this? <laughs> let us know. It's okay. Let us know if we are missing the mark or or hitting the mark in communicating these ideas and empowering people. Because when you when 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 you edify people at ed- that's where you get the word edifice, building up a building. If we're edif- if our content is edifying and it's building you up, please let us know um, and, and shoot us an email. Give us a review. Uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, give us uh, some words of encouragement so uh, Joel and I can keep on doing this. Or- yeah. yeah, constructive criticism is appreciated as opposed to just criticism. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, let us know what you guys thought of, the, of this review. Um, I would definitely recommend I would recommend you having this book on on your shelf. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as a read through, like something that you would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm working through this book." Um, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Buy the book, have it on your shelf, um, and you're watching news, and then you get curious, and you're like, "Hmm, something's off about that number." Let me just skim through the table of contents and see what. What applies, and then read through the chapter. Another thing about the book, um, what he does with the numbers, and he and he practices what he preaches, is that he he always applies these numbers and these principles in the context of story. Mm. Shout out to Phil Thomas, who's very big on um, incorporating story into everything you do. And so, um, and the After Watch podcast and Lavar, shout out to Lavar. But yeah, um, so it's important to make sure that. Um, we're, we're communicating um, our ideas in the context of story. And that's what he does very well. So again, get the book. Um, man, man, I, man, we, we should be like um, getting some kind of, uh, <laughs> what's it called? Um, affiliate links, putting it up. so we get- Affiliate <laughs> links, man. Look at we promoting this guy. We're like, look, man, t- uh, Tim Horford. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, go to, our, go to our show notes page, buy the book, give us our the 13 yeah, cents I, we're going to earn on. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like, I feel like, I feel like, um, I feel like, 
Busta Rhymes and Pastor Cavassier. <laughs> you know, he, he, ain't get, he ain't getting no money from Cavassier. I feel like, you know, Nelly and Air Force Ones. He ain't getting no money from Nike for Air Force Ones. I'm like, come on, man. I ain't getting no money from Tim Horford. But but the- Well, hopefully he, he retweets when you tag him or something. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll feel or, like or, uh, the or one or two like book yeah, sales no. that we got him. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely, man. This was this was a good read. It definitely um empowered me, and I'm going to be a lot better in navigating stats. So check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, it's been a while since we did a tight beast episode. Let us know um what else books you'd like us to hit up and see what's going on with. Yeah, yeah. Um, give, us, give us a, a reading list if uh, or, or reading recommendations. We uh, yeah. can't guarantee we'll touch them all, but uh, we're always open to to recommendations. Yeah, yeah. The most interesting ones. The most interesting ones. Um, and yeah and um you can contact us at six and support at gmail.com you can contact me darnell uh do good at darnell d-o-g-u-d-d-a underscore darnell on twitter and instagram and darnell samuels on facebook and uh you can also get us social media six cents report uh facebook and twitter and me i'm t joel and 39 at facebook instagram and twitter and remember don't believe the hype read the type madden and mitchell media 